Let's see, today we want to talk uh, a little bit, we're, we're doing this series uh, that's a little different maybe than normal, but uh, we're, we're doing it around the story uh, that, uh, that is in a movie out right now called The Shack, and so if you've been with us, you have known that, been a part of it, if you're, if you're new. Um, it's a little bit different than maybe we would normally do, but um, this is a, it's a, we're going to use this as like a giant parable, if you will, to... Um, help us take another look at God and our faith and what God is like. I hope that for everyone, it'll give you an opportunity to take a step back and sort of reassess the situation. How many of you ever had this scenario before? You were with some young ones of yours, and you were having a good day at wherever, um, let's say you took them to Cedar Point or whatever, and they love it, and they're on the rides, and they're having a good time, and then then you went to the snack shack and paid $400 for four corn dogs, and, um, and they misheard behind the counter and that you wanted the, you wanted the blue cotton candy, and they gave you the red. At that point, your child had an immediate meltdown. And, and it, it happens so fast and so dramatic. You can't, you, you can't even, you don't, you don't have time to say, look, I'm just going to change it. I'm going to turn this one in. It's too late. I mean, no, it's too late. The whole day is now, everything is ruined. The universe is falling. The moon will no longer come out at night. It, the end of the world, right? And so sometimes it's amazing what limited perspective a child has. Is it true? It's just like they just have a limited perspective. You're just like, no, we can change it. You know, no, the day's ruined. Here's the thing. The Bible teaches us, right? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, right now, go, go figure, ready? Right now, we think like children. This is not a compliment. And we what? reason like children. What was Paul trying to say? Was he trying to give us a big dig and tell us how ignorant we are? Or was he saying, there's so much more that we don't yet see or understand. It's sort of yet beyond our ability. There's so much more. So what I hope you'll do during this series as we plod along is that you'll, you'll don't throw a fit. Uh, hold on to the cotton candy, right? We'll get it exchanged for you. We'll take our time. We're going to work our way through. And I hope as the series comes to a a close that you'll have maybe a wider, a bigger, a, a whole new appreciation for the God that created you and loves you. Now, um, when, as we conclude, uh, we're leading up to Easter, and on Palm Sunday, uh, we have a special guest here. His name's Tony Jones. We've sold a lot of his books again in the bookstore, but we're going to get more as the understanding. So he wrote a book called "Did God Kill Jesus?" Did God kill Jesus? Because Palm Sunday will start Passion Week, where we will start to think about the uh, the week that led to the crucifixion of, of Christ and. Um, it's sort of a thought-provoking question. Why did Jesus die anyway? 
And maybe many people grew up with the idea that, yeah, it was God. He, he, you know, he, he has to. He, certain things he has to do. And um, I don't want to spoil that Sunday, but you can't miss Palm Sunday. And you, you won't want to miss the interview that we do with uh, Tony Jones. Today, um, the story is, uh, our, our character, main character is a guy named Mac. And he, uh, he's had deep wounds in his life. I'm going to describe two of them primarily. One would we, be, we would call like a father wound or a parent wound. And because of these wounds, he's walking around in life with a lot of pain. I think one of the reasons that this book sold so well was because people could find themselves in this story. People walk around life with a lot of pain at times. His pain came from... First of all, his childhood, and then later in life, he experiences the, the greatest tragedy probably that any, any of us could ever imagine. That would be the, the kidnapping and the loss of his daughter. And so he has this pain. And this pain starts to affect him deeply. It starts to throw him into a depression And then the pain not only affects him, but it spills out into the people around him, the people that he loves, and he starts to sort of ruin the things that are around him, the things that he actually loves the most because of his own pain, because he hasn't processed or figured it out. And he gets a note in the mailbox that says, come meet me at the shack. Now, the shack is the place where he... Sees the had, they had last spotted, uh, last traced his daughter's body. So it was a place of unbelievable pain. In other words, the shack was the place you wanted to avoid at all costs. Brought up too many bad things. So he gets this random note in the mailbox from Papa or God and says, meet me at the shack. In other words, meet me in the place of your pain. And then the story goes on, and it's about a weekend that he spends at this shack with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the scenes, um, Mac is trying to process his pain. He's trying to sort of figure it out. And um, he ends up out in a boat. And I want to show you just a slice of it now, and then we'll dive into the message. Mac. Mac, it's okay. Why are you doing this to me? This isn't me. You told me to come out here. Mac, this is happening inside you. You're letting it consume you, and you don't have to. Just take a deep breath and listen to my voice. So, it's on the water, and the water is coming in, and the interesting part about this little exchange in the movie is um, he's hearing the voice of Jesus, and the voice of Jesus is saying to him, this is happening, what, inside your your head. Anybody ever got in your own head? (laughs) All right. So this is for all of us, because if you didn't raise your hand, you lied. So anyway, I'm, I'm... I'm counting you in. 
You ever got in your own head? I'll give you one more chance. Is, what, what do we say when you're getting in your own head? You're, 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 you're making up a story. You're developing something in your own mind. You're processing how your conversation with the boss is going to go, and you haven't even had it yet. You've already cussed at him in your head. You've already counter-argued. You've, in other words, we've all done this. And, and we start to process and imagine and and all these things are going on, and they're, they're based on our fear. And this is what's really, really important about this. Much of our fear is imagined, right? Much of our fear is imagined, and much of it is based on something that's happened in the past. So we are holding on to the past, and we are now placing that in our what in our future but it's not often even real um last week I, I got to go out to hang out with my cousin in colorado we went snowboarding and uh so you know they've been living out there for a while so they want to take me on the worst hill possible right <laughs> to show me how lousy of a snowboarder i am right and so they take me to the double black diamond with the moguls, and I have no clue what to do, right? And the, I see at the top of the hill, the only thing that you feel is fear, absolute fear, right? Now, here's the funny thing. Um, if you've ever heard somebody teaching someone how to ski or snowboard on a steep hill, they'll say, you don't look straight down. You just go what? Side to side. Just take it a few inches at a time, right? doesn't work, right? Because all you can do is see, the, all you can see are these... Volkswagen-sized moguls in front of you and a very steep hill. And fear has this way of grabbing hold of your attention. Now the focus of your mind is on the possibility of what is bad. The possibility of what is bad. Let me take you to a story that's also on the water. And this is this is Peter, and you, you, probably, if, if not one of the, the most familiar stories in all of the New Testament, but Jesus comes to Peter, Matthew 14, and the disciples, and he's uh, walking on the water. And uh, they're afraid. They think it's a ghost. And Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, right? Um, have courage. It's just me. It's just me. Um, obviously, if you're on a boat and you see someone walking to you on the lake, it's a, it's a, it's a little unnerving, all right? So um, Peter responds. He recognizes his voice, and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the way. You've got to love this about Peter. You've got to love this about Peter, right? How many know Peter made a lot of whopping mistakes, right? Huge, right? But you gotta love him. You know, he's he's got his hand up first, going, "Hey, hey, all right, well, let me let, let me go, right?" So uh, immediately Jesus replies to him, "Come on, Peter," and Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water towards Jesus. And you're thinking, "This is Peter's thing. This is amazing." And the disciples are like, I, I can't believe it. And as he starts to walk, something happens to him. What happens? He's looking at Jesus. He's amazed and he's filled with faith and he's making progress. But then he turns his attention to what? 
the wind and the waves. And when he sees the wind and the waves and the water, he begins to what? And then he cries out, you know, and of course, he cries out for the Lord and Jesus reaches out, he touches his, he grabs him by the hand and he catches him and he says, you of little faith, why did you what? Doubt. Why did you doubt? Don't we all, don't we all struggle with doubt if we're truthful? I loved Dale's song because it, it sets up the question, you know, about belief and about doubt. And the reality is all of us struggle with believing and all of us at times find ourselves in this struggle between looking at God, looking with faith, or looking at the waves and looking in fear. The most powerful thing that you have control over is your mind, your focus, the thing that you're going to pay attention to. And if you choose, if you choose, you can focus on the wind and the waves. It always produces what? Doubt. If you want to, you can focus on God, which produces faith. The choice is always yours. You don't get to choose if there are wind or waves. That's not what you get to choose. You don't get to choose if there's a storm. How many know that to be true? Uh, If we were honest, wouldn't most of us just go smooth, give me smooth sailing? Let's be truthful. Isn't that what we pray for? Our prayers are smooth sailing, Lord, just a gentle breeze, just so I don't get hot. Right? I mean, this this is what we want. We want want smooth. We want... We want calm waters. We want just gently usher me to my destination and make sure there's no traffic. Right? We also pray there's no other fishermen in the way. These are our prayers, right? And take the kids with me and make them smile and get them through Harvard. Make them wealthy so they can take care of me when I'm older. There's this few ripples, right, in, in the water. And make sure they live close to me when they get older, Lord. They need to stay close to me. These are our prayers. We don't get to control, this is, we don't get to control the storms, the wind, the wave. What we get to control is what we choose to focus on. At any time, this is so important, at any time is Jesus ever in danger of drowning? No. At any time, no matter how big the storm would rage, this is never a worry to him. So what we have to do, this is so important, what we have to do is we have to make a a fundamental decision in our life. And it's not, can I just say this? It's not a one-time decision. I wish it was. Don't you? Don't you wish it was like, oh, I just became a believer. Now, Now I always believe and I never doubt. No, we have to make this decision over and over and over again in life when things happen, and that is, am I going to focus on the wind and the waves, or am I going to focus on the, the Savior? And so when life starts to happen, um, the pain that you and I 
have experienced at some point in our past starts to creep its way into our mind and gets us to thinking, yep, here it goes again. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. And it gets into our head. Imagination, think about this. God gives you the gift of an imagination. It's a very unique gift. Right? Right now, some of you are imagining, when is this sermon going to be over? This is your imagination. Some of you are imagining what you're going to have for lunch. You're imagining, right? You, the, well, this is true. I mean, this is true, right? You, the, these are the, you have the ability. This is a unique gift. But if you don't use this gift carefully, you can use your imagination, right, to take you into really, really, really dark difficult places. So processing the the things that have happened in your life is such an important thing. And this is a big part of the story that Mac has to deal with. I call it the noise. The noise that comes into your head. Anybody get noise in your head? You're going along and and you're, you're, you know, you're working, you're focused, and all of a sudden these really negative thoughts. And at, those are the time when you have to make a decision. Am I going to entertain them? I mean, literally. Some of you, you, just, you like get out napkins and, and you just, oh, yeah, let's go there. Or do you have to say, I, I will choose to focus my mind, and I will choose to focus my attention on the goodness of God that's in my life. Now, here is something that as we prepare um, for communion, I want you to think about. The setup to the story of Jesus going to the cross sort of starts to ramp up in the garden. And if you're not a Bible reader, uh, or you're not familiar with the whole story, um, Jesus is, has come into the city of Jerusalem with his disciples, and they've had a supper together, which we are going to partake of an extended version of at the end of the service today. And after the supper, they go to a familiar place where Jesus prayed with the disciples. And they're in this garden right outside the city of Jerusalem. And as Jesus is there with the disciples, it's late at night. There's a sense of foreboding. There's a sense uh, amongst Jesus and the disciples that this this is close to the end. And Jesus with, just sort of withdraws from the group to pray. Now, here's the thing I want you to remember. This is the toughest part. Jesus being fully human, but God. But fully human. He's not any part unhuman. This is what's so important. There's not any part of him that's unhuman. He's completely human. If you, as a human, know the end is near... And not only that you know the end is near, but you know the end is going to be near. And, and let's just be honest. When we talk about it, people talk about it, or they joke about it. Like when they go, they want to go quick. 
How many, like, when it happens, I just want to go in my sleep or I just want to, right? These are the things we talk about. Is it true? Do we have these conversations? The Romans perfected a torturing device we know as the cross. They perfected it. They perfected a device to torture people, to to make their death as painful and slow and public as possible. There's, There's a group of people that worked on perfecting a technique, and that was to kill somebody in the most painful, slow, debilitating way possible. Jesus is seeing this in his future. And he begins to pray. Are you with me? Many of us have our own garden moments where we see something in the future. So for as much as I say, live in the moment, live in the moment, live in the moment, right? And that's good advice. It's the way that you should live. All of us have these times where it's like, yes, but I'm going to get a report in a couple of days. Yes, but... This is going to, but this is on the clock. This is in the calendar two days from now. I'm not an idiot, Chris, right? Jesus knows something's on the calendar. And what does he do? He prays. And, and, and the scripture says he prays as it were, uh, a sweat, it, drops of blood, the agony of his prayer. And here was the prayer. Here was the prayer. Father, if it's possible, let this suffering pass from me. Honest prayer. Heartfelt prayer. Truthful prayer. A prayer that all of us would have prayed. Is it true? Let's, let, let's do this another way. But he goes on and he says, Yet not my will... But what? Your will be done. I think if this prayer could become part of our DNA, to, to know that, yes, we're going to ask, yes, we're, we, we're going to request, yes, it's only human, and we have to pray that way. But to add to our prayer, not my will, but what? Your will be done. It was Jesus' garden moment where he had to shift the focus, right? Shift the focus from the wind and the waves, from the fear, from the swords and the soldiers to his father. Something powerful and something profound happens in our life when we shift from fear-based living to what? Faith-based living. You remember The Gladiator, right? Oh, if you haven't watched The Gladiator, then just get out. <laughs> no, I mean, you remember, right? So it's at the end. Okay. Well, it's at the end. All right. It's at the end. And he's, and he's and, you know, and, and, and Russell Crowe is there and, and he's getting ready to go out and, to, and then... Um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix right comes in and he's the evil emperor and he comes and he gets in his face and he talks about death smiling at him and and you know and, and Russell Crowe says, well, you know, when death smiles at you, you smile back. Fear 
and what? Faith. You and I are constantly, this is important, constantly given this choice, like on a daily basis. Am I going to live by fear or am I going to live by Am I going to get whatever piece of information that I got via telephone, email, text, the news, anywhere? Am I going to get that information and I'm going to process it in fear or am I going to process it in what? Faith. You won't believe it. You won't believe it because you've been so conditioned, right? When I say this, you're going to throw things. You're going to email. You're going to go nuts, right? You won't believe there's a there's a. There's a TED Talk out. You can watch for yourself. It's called The Surprising Decline in Violence. I know you're already mad. Some of you are already mad. You want there to be more violence. Some of you, no, no, you've been so conditioned. You want to believe that it's all going to hell in a handbasket. These are the things we've heard. It's so terrible now. It's so terrible now. How many times have you heard this? It's all going to, and this guy goes back and documents, does the actual work. Historical work to show that the violence is going like this. Some of you don't believe me. You want to throw things. Why are you mad? Why don't you want to believe the good? Isn't that funny? Some of you are wrestling so much right now. Just Google it. Some of you already got your phones out, right? Surprising decline in violence. It's a TED Talk. And he just does all the documented work. That things are not getting worse. That over long periods of time, they're getting much, much, what? Better. Now think about this. What have we been conditioned to do with our minds? We have been conditioned to operate in, what? Fear. Now, one act of violence is too many. How many are with me? We don't, we don't want any of it. We always want to... Any of it we need to... But here's the whole thing. If you aren't careful, what you do is you let somebody condition the way that you think. And oftentimes, we are like the little kid that got the wrong cotton candy. We throw a fit and we ruin the whole day for one little, what? Hiccup. The power... Think about this. No one has the power to control your mind. That's a gift that you have. And every single day, you can choose to take the information that comes into your inbox and let it stoke fear, or you can choose to retrain. It's like Paul writes in in his letter to the church in Rome, right? He said, you are transformed, you're changed by renewing your mind. The thing that helps us, that changes us, is when we change our mind, we change the thing that we choose to focus on. Anybody ever heard of a gawker's accident? You know what a gawker's accident is? Sure. Right? Somebody gets in an accident, and now what? We all want to see. How sick is this? 
No, it's sick, but I mean, it's, isn't it, what does it tell you? It is human nature. I mean, even people, when you get there, what's, what's, all, what's all the thing about? They've already got the wreck off to the side. All the lanes are open, and it's stopped right in front of there. Why? We want to see. And we want to see because we want to pray for them. You know, we have our thing. We have but what we, just, we just need to see. There's some, this is so important. There's something in our human nature that, that, that get, we just got to look. They say you move in the direction of your eyes, right? Your life moves in the direction of the thing that you focus on. So now they have accidents because people are watching other accidents for no other reason that they had to, what? Had to take a look. Perhaps some, what this is, what happens to some of us is we are stuck to me, this movie is about a guy that's stuck. He's just stuck. And this is his weekend to get unstuck. And I meet a lot of people in life that are stuck. They're just stuck. They can't get past. They can't get over. They can't get through. But one of the keys to doing that is to avoid the gawker's accident, right? Where I... Instead of paying attention to the road and the destiny and the, and the beauty that's in front of me, I have to look over here and see the tragedy. The key is this. Focus on the beauty or focus on the tragedy. That's a choice that's always up to you.